Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So do you ever feel like you don't have enough? That you just aren't enough? That you're not good enough or smart enough? You don't have enough time, you don't have enough patience, you don't have enough discipline, you can't accomplish everything that you want to. Because you want to be a good parent, but your job is also making you take classes to get your master's. And so you try to finish up assignments without neglecting your family. And you haven't started the book that's on your nightstand that you promised, 2018 is the year, I'm going to start that book. You want to get more involved in church, but you also want to go to the gym. There doesn't seem to be enough time in the day, so you can't quite figure out how to make it all work. And all along, your friendships fall to the wayside because you can't actually pour into those relationships because it's been months since you actually sat down to talk. And so you're left wondering, how do we do it all? I'm convinced that we have such high standards as a society and that we have a vision that's really unattainable, that society tells us you can have it all and we need to do it all. But at some point in our life, we realize that we can't and it becomes overwhelming. And so we have a choice of how we respond. A lot of times when life gets tough, we fake it for a while. Fake it till you make it, right? But then eventually it becomes too much, and we throw in the towel. When my wife and I lived in Tennessee, uh, I was a front desk manager at a Doubletree Hotel. It's a very, very, very long story. If you want to know more, we can grab coffee or a beer. We can chat about it sometime. Uh, But I have stories for days when it comes to that place. But while I was there, I actually hired a guy named Brian to work the night shift on weekends. So it's two nights a week. When Brian came in, he told me he was looking for a part-time job to pay some of the bills. Brian worked days at an ATV dealership, and he and his wife just had their third kid, and she had to take time off work, so he needed this part-time job to kind of fill in the gaps. And so his hope was he could do this for a few months, it could create some space, and everything would be okay. And so spending time with Brian, I realized that he had a lot going on. So when he first showed up, he put together, got the suit on, he was ready to go. By about a month in, he was looking more and more tired. And so I just asked him, do you need some time off? You're working double shifts, you're working days, coming in at nights, you're working through the night, then going home and trying to help your wife with your kids. But every time I saw him, he was adamant that he was good. And so I slowly watched him deteriorate. He became more tired and more beat up as the weeks went on. One time I even showed up for a 7 a.m. shift after he had worked through the night, and I found him asleep on the floor in my office. But every time we talked, he said, I'm good. A few weekends later, I was out of town and I got a phone call from the person who was working our 3 to 11 shift saying that Brian never showed up. I was six hours away, so I asked them, like, can you call them again? Because I I can't make it back in time. Go ahead and call them. I'll call them. We'll try to figure out what happened. And so for the next hour, we both tried calling back and forth, and there was no answer. As time went on, we realized that we couldn't get a hold of Brian, and so we called in our other night shift employee and said, hey, can you fill in the gap just for this weekend? We have to figure out what happened to this guy. So the next week, I got back in town, and I started calling him again. No answer. I tried to find him on social media. Couldn't find him. I actually called him from blocked phone numbers, thinking he was just avoiding me, but it didn't matter if I called from the hotel or my personal cell phone or the cell phones of other people who worked there. He wouldn't answer. And so we had to move on. And so I hired somebody else and began training them. All the while, everyone's wondering, where did Brian go? And so eventually, it was a few weeks past, and people were asking, like, 
is he alive? And so I was like, I don't know. Like, so we started Googling things. Like, we knew he grew up in North Carolina. He was living in Tennessee. So we're, like, Googling his hometown and his name, trying to figure out what happened to this person who just completely disappeared. And then time went on. We didn't hear from Brian. We didn't find anything online. We didn't know what happened to him. Three months later, I was working the 3 to 11 shift when the front doors opened, and it was Brian. I was completely stunned. I remember I was just staring at him like, I thought you were dead. And he walks in, and I ask him, like, what, like, what happened? Like, you, you bailed on us. Like, you made this a very hard place to work for about a month until he found somebody new. Like, what happened? And he told me that life became too hard, so he disappeared. He actually one night got so fed up and so worn out that he got in his car and drove and didn't tell anyone. He didn't tell his wife. He didn't tell his two jobs. He just disappeared. Life became so hard for him that the only thing he knew to do was just leave. And for a few months, he lived in the wilderness. After he got done telling me the story, he looked at me and said, well, I'm back. And I said, that's good. And he's like, can I have my job back? <laughs> I said, absolutely not. But that's the attitude we have sometimes. We just pretend like nothing is wrong and we push forward. But that's something that is so hard to do. So eventually it catches up to us. And when we experience stress, we medicate in some way. And then we give up. And then somehow it always happens this way. Then a Christian comes along and says, that's why you need Jesus. Because you aren't achieving what you want. You don't think you are enough. You're tired. You're worn out. You're medicating. You're drinking. You're alone. You're empty. You want to give up. And they say, Jesus will give you rest. And they'll even point out Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus actually says, if you're tired and worn out, come to me and you will find rest. And that sounds so good. And so we do it. But if we're being really honest with ourselves, there are times when we struggle with that. If I'm being really honest with you all right now, there are times when I struggle with that. Because I'm still tired. And if Jesus is so great and I'm doing my best to follow him, and I'm not perfect, but I'm trying my best, if I'm trying my best, why do I always feel like I don't have rest? Why do I feel stressed to the max and like I want to give up? Or like I'll never be enough. I think it's because I'm not thinking how Jesus thought. And so I can't live how Jesus lived. This whole series we talked about how Jesus wants us to have life to the fullest. John 10.10 10 says Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. And that's what Jesus wants for us. But in order to experience that we have to have a change of mindset. And we can't think how culture thinks. Because if we're being truly honest with ourselves, we recognize that the way culture tells us to live is slowly driving us into the ground. And that's why we have to, change of mind, have, to have a change of mindset and start thinking how God wants us to think. And so we're in week three of our series called Integration, where we're trying to destroy the myth of balance. So the idea is pretty simple. If we try to live a life in balance, something always wins out and something always loses. There's no way to live in perfect balance. And so we've talked about how the key is integration. In the first week, we talked about the first step of integration is putting Jesus into the center of everything that we do, integrating him into everything that we do so that we don't feel like we have to live that life that is perfectly balanced and perfectly perfect all the time. And last week we talked about consistency, that one of the best ways to put Jesus at the center of your life is picking one thing, whether that's a small or big thing, and doing it every single week and allowing Jesus to speak through that. 
And a lot of you have been working on integration in your life, and, you'll, and you will see a difference. We talked about this week one, right? Like, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, just try integration compared to balance, and you will see the difference in your life over 2018. And what's really cool, in fact, 25 of you last week joined one of our collectives, which is amazing. Our collectives are small groups that meet every week. We eat dinner. We do a discussion based on what we talk about right here. And there were 25 people that said, I'm ready for that. And that's a big step. It's a big step to say every single week, I'm going to show up with people that are strangers, and I'm going to wrestle with God and faith with them. But for those of you who did, I promise you, you won't regret it. This is a good, consistent way to be in community and to learn about Jesus. And a quick side note, for those of you who didn't get a chance to sign up or if you have questions, head out to the lobby, go to an iPad, sign up. I promise you this is something you won't regret because you'll be surrounded by people who are in the same part of life that you're in. They're struggling with the same things. They feel the same way. They have the same questions. And there's no better way to do life than with a group of people that are at least trying to move forward together. And so today we're talking about our third topic, and we're going to be in a book of the Bible called Leviticus. The Christians here are super hesitant today because Leviticus is not the most exciting book in the Bible. In fact, Leviticus is one of the reasons why if someone says, hey, I want to start reading my Bible, where do I begin? I'm like, don't start in the beginning because you'll get a few books in, you'll get to Leviticus, and you're like, nope, I'm done. And so I know some of you are hesitant, but this is a really good book of the Bible to teach us the third topic of today. So Leviticus is a list of laws that were written for Jewish priests. And I don't know about you, I'm not a priest, and I'm not Jewish, so this doesn't totally apply to me because I don't offer uh, sacrifices in the temple. But tucked away in Leviticus 23, God speaks to his people and teaches them a principle that I think is essential to living life to the fullest today. And so though, even though you are not a Jewish priest living in temple time, if you live out these principles, you won't live in a place where you're feeling stressed because you don't feel like you're good enough, don't have enough, or can't be enough. You'll live how God wants you to live because you'll be thinking how Jesus thinks. So Leviticus 23 starts like this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. And so in Leviticus 23, God is actually going to lay out seven festivals for the Jewish people. And these festivals span a whole year. So that's how they actually do their calendar is based off of these festivals. They'll span what, what the Jewish people use as their whole calendar year. And these festivals that God sets up are to show us that life is full of seasons. By a round of applause, how many of you would say that spring is your favorite season? A few. Yeah, like green, grow. it's a little bit cold, but it's good. What about summer? I think that makes sense for Frederick. Frederick's really good in the summer. What about fall? Oh, yeah, that's good. Fall's my favorite. It's like the ending of baseball, the beginning of football, pumpkin spice lattes. Don't judge me. I don't care. What about winter? Anybody? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that makes sense. I don't know. Winter. Actually, today it's not bad. Last week, I don't think anybody would have clapped. Uh, but sometimes in our life, our life feels like summer, right? But there are other times when it feels like winter. We think about the farmer. A farmer actually acts differently depending on what season it is. In spring, he is planting. In summer, he waters. In fall, he harvests. In winter, he prepares. How foolish would it be if the farmer went out to his field in the middle of winter and got mad because nothing was growing? If a farmer did that, we would tell him, even if we're not farmers, we'd tell him to chill out. It's winter, and this is the season that the crops are in. So how silly is it when we get frustrated when our lives aren't bearing great fruit every single season? It's the exact same. 
in our instant society, we want to bear great fruit all the time. But life has seasons. And God teaches us this in, in the way the world works. And he teaches us this about our lives as well. And so what God does in Leviticus 23 is he puts in place several festivals to remind his people to take a break. To remind his people to recognize that God is there. And to remind his people to pay attention because there are seasons. So let's check out these festivals, starting in Leviticus 23, verse 5. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So that's the first festival. Passover celebrates God sparing the lives of those who obeyed him in Egypt. It's a one-day celebration in the spring. It's the first festival to remind them that God is good. And God continues, On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of the unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. This is the second festival. It's a week long and it celebrates when the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt. And they're off work for seven days. And on the first and last day of that celebration, they worship. God continues in verses 9 and 10, which I'm going to summarize. The next festival is called the first fruits or first harvest. When they got to the very first part of their harvest, which was often figs, before they fed themselves, before they fed their family, before they went to the market, they gave that first offering to God. God uses this festival to teach his people a principle that will impact generations to come. He teaches them that we're to honor God first, and not try and honor God with our leftovers. And so you can already see God teaching his people through these seasons. Jump a little bit forward in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heavens. Solomon, who wrote this, is the second wisest person to ever live. Jesus, then Solomon. And here's Solomon in his infinite wisdom saying, there's a time for everything. There's a season for everything that we experience. And we know this. We feel this. A lot of us feel this right now, that we feel like we're in winter. Or some of us, maybe we feel like we're in summer. So I want to remind you, if you have a baby, you're in a season. If you have an illness, you're in a season. If you're still in school, you're in a season. If you're a teenager, you're in a season. It lasts a little bit longer, you'll get through it, you'll be okay. If you're engaged, you're in a season. And every season demands certain things. It demands saying no to certain things. It demands saying yes to certain things. It has unique time constraints. And a change in seasons doesn't mean you are a bad person. Remember the farmer analogy. If a farmer isn't harvesting crops in winter, it doesn't mean that he's evil. It doesn't mean that he's a bad farmer. It means that it's winter and that he needs to understand that. Let's continue with the festivals in Leviticus 23, starting in verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So this is called the festival of the harvest. So we had the first harvest or the first fruits. And this is a festival actually about 50 days in when they've realized how good God is and how much God has given them. They stop and they pause again to honor God with what God has given them. And this is to remind us that seasons don't last forever. So remind us that seasons come to an end, both good and bad. 
Ecclesiastes 3, let's continue what that said. It says this, starting verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This wisdom from Solomon should free you. It should give you the sense of peace that you realize that whatever season you're in, good or bad, that it's just a season that it doesn't last forever. I know for me, it certainly makes me feel much better about some of the seasons I've been in in my own life. Last year, I was at a retreat for church planners, and I really, really, really didn't want to go. To be honest, I didn't feel like I had time. They wanted my wife to be there, and I was like, that makes it even harder. She'd have to take off work. In fact, it ended on her 30th birthday, and I was like, that's miserable for my wife. Let's go to a church planning conference that ends on your birthday. And so for me, like, I was not interested in going, but, you know, they, they kept asking, and so we went in hopes that maybe we'd walk away with something. The second night we were there, I had a chance to talk one-on-one with one of the speakers. And the first thing that he wanted to talk to me about was seasons. And he said, right now is the busiest time of your life. You have a toddler, you're planning a church, your wife is starting a new job, you're trying to buy a new house, and life is just crazy right now. And then he told me that I shouldn't try to accomplish all of my life goals during this season. He said, do what you need to do right now and be a good husband a good father and a good church planter. And then when the season's over, start a new hobby. And I know for me, that was incredibly freeing because it made me realize that even in ministry, even in church planning, even as, as we, we grow this church and we move forward with this church, that there are gonna be seasons. And it was especially freeing for me because I'm somebody that wants to do everything and I want to do everything right now. And so I'm one of those people that's like, okay, I'm a dad and I'm a church planter and I'm a husband and I want to have friends and I want to write a book and I want to start running. I don't actually want to start running, but I say I want to start running so you think highly of me. But ultimately, like, I want to do all these things in my life and I can't cram them in. And essentially what he said was, pick the things that matter the most and don't worry about the rest. And I think that's incredibly important for us to realize today that we're in a season God continues, verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blast. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. This is called the Festival of the Trumpets. This is actually the Jewish New Year. We call it Rosh Hashanah. It's time to celebrate and time to take rest. And then God continues, The Lord said to Moses, the tenth day of the seventh month is a day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. So you've also heard of this one. This one's called Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. This is the biggest holiday in the Jewish year by far. It represents God forgiving the sins of the nation of Israel. And even though, like, as we read through these festivals, we realize a few days were commanded not to work. This one actually has a very serious warning with it. With the other ones, it's like, hey, don't work. Please don't do that. But this one, this is what God says about not working on uh, on Yom Kippur. This is what he says. Do not do any work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God, those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. 
I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come wherever you live. And this is taken incredibly seriously even today. In fact, if you are a teacher or if you have kids in FCPS, you'll know that when Frederick County put out the 2017-2018 schedule, Yom Kippur was not a day off for the students. And it has been for years. And so we have friends who are Jewish who had to fight back because they're, what they are called to do on that day is not to work at all. Luckily, FCPS actually recently changed it. And so they are off that day. But for them, this was a day where they take it very seriously. You are not supposed to do anything. Your family and your friends and anybody in your community needs to stay at home and not work because it's the Day of Atonement. These festivals that God laid out were to teach us about seasons. But they also foreshadow what's to come. Because when Yom Kippur used to happen, when Jewish people used to have a temple, which they don't have a temple anymore, and when they had priests, which they actually don't have priests anymore because they lost the genealogy, and they think it would be wrong just to appoint some random person as a priest. But when they had priests and they had a temple, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest, one time, one day a year, would enter the temple in a place called the Inner Room, which is also called the Holy of Holies. He would go through a ceremony and offer a sacrifice, and that represented God forgiving the sins of the nation of Israel for an entire year. And they celebrated that. That's one of the reasons why they take it so seriously. It's not just a day of rest. It's a day of rest because their sins are forgiven. And the reason why it foreshadows is because one of the titles that we have for Jesus in the New Testament is high priest. The author of the book of Hebrews goes on to explain that Jesus is our high priest because he offered a sacrifice for our sins. But instead of doing it yearly, Jesus did it once for all time. Because all those sacrifices that used to be offered were just a symbol of what was to come. It was just a symbol and a foreshadowing of Jesus who would eventually come to be the sacrifice forever. And so when Jesus died on a cross, he was the perfect sacrifice he died to take away the sin of the world forever, not just the nation of Israel for one year, but the world forever, so that whoever believes in him will be saved. We're all sinners in need of grace. We all miss the mark in some way. But your high priest has made the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And that's good news for us, because that means we can be forgiven forever. So one thing I want you all to know today, above everything else, above integration, above seasons, is that you are loved. You are loved. Because of Jesus, there's no longer a sacrifice that has to be made by someone else in a temple one time of year for our sins. All you have to do is have that atonement. All you have to do to be saved is call in the name of Jesus. And you'll be free because you're his child. You're a part of his family. And he will comfort you and he will hold you and he will not let go. And that's all because of what Jesus did for you. And if you haven't accepted that, if you're someone that's been on the rope for a really long time, you're not sure that's real, maybe you're in a season and you feel like this season is God's fault and I can't get through it. And I hope today is one of those times when you realize that it's a season and God wants to help you get through it. But if you haven't accepted that, if you haven't decided to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior, so you have those things, you have that peace, you have that comfort, you have that recognition that there are seasons in your life, we want you to have those things. We want you to follow what Peter says in Acts 2.38 where he says, repent and be baptized. Repent, which actually means to turn away. Turn away from the way you're doing life right now because it's just not working. 
He says, be baptized. This is to be immersed in water, which is a symbol of the death of your old self and the birth of your new self. And we want to talk with you about those things. I'd love to talk with you in the lobby or on your connection card. You can check off baptism, and we'd love to have a conversation of what that freedom looks like and what that feels like. And if you're sitting there struggling with whether or not to make the decision, know that you're not alone. On February 4th, two of the guys that go to Collective are getting baptized. They've been a part of the team since we launched, and they've been serving every single Sunday. And this is huge for us. These are people who, who commit to being a part of this church. And, and to be honest, like, you experience them every Sunday because these guys come in at 7 o'clock, and they set up the chairs that you sit in and the pipe and drape that are, that's to your sides. In fact, for most of you, you've probably met them outside. It's Dustin and Eric. They, they're outside every single Sunday trying to create a safe space for people to experience Jesus. And so last week, Dustin and Eric came up to me, and they wanted to take that next step. Both of them have been pursuing Jesus for a long time. They love God with their whole heart, but they both are finally ready to take that step to be all in and to get baptized. And knowing both of these guys, they want nothing more than for you to make the same decision they have and be all in and get baptized on the same day. The reason why they're here early is to create a space for you to experience this. And when I was talking to Dustin about this morning, I said, man, like, I'd love for other people to join in with you. And Dustin said, I want nothing more than for the people that I serve with every Sunday to make that decision as well. And so if you're on the fence about making Jesus the leader of your life, come talk to me. Talk to them. I'm, I'll introduce you to Dustin Eric. Talk to somebody that's not a pastor, right? Like, it's easy. I'll give you the answers. But talk to them. Because these are people who have been through seasons, trust me. They've been through seasons. But they realize Jesus is what gets them through it. Let's continue with what, what God said. Leviticus 23, starting at verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. And so that's the last festival that he lays out in Leviticus 23. And some of you are thinking you know a little bit about Jewish culture, and you're like, okay, well, like, what about Hanukkah? Hanukkah was actually added in 138 BC. And so in this moment when God's talking to Moses to give these festivals to the people, these are the seven that he lays out. These are the seven that they experience throughout the year. These are the seven that God gave them to show them that there are seasons in your life. There are seasons when you have more, and there are seasons when you have less. There are seasons when you work, and there are seasons when you take rest. So God teaches them seasons. But the most important thing through all of this, you'll see the thread through all of it, whether it's a season of, of plenty or a season of first fruits or a season of, of pause, is that God tells them to celebrate at every turn of the season. God tells him to celebrate God at every festival that you have. God teaches us that we must honor God in every season. So seasons are important to recognize, but seasons can't be an excuse to dishonor God. Your baseline for how you honor God never changes. You serve every season, you give every season, you're in community every season. Seasons are, are the reality, they're not an excuse. You wouldn't say, I'm going to get drunk tonight because I'm in a season. Husbands, you wouldn't say, I'm going to neglect my wife right now because I'm just in a season. You'll always do the good that God wants you to do, no matter what the season is. And the point is, there's a baseline for honor and how you show God that honor in every season. A few months ago, a friend of mine was actually fired from a church that he worked in for 11 years. Uh, actually, it was a church plant, so he moved his family there when they were young kids, and they had literally given everything they could to that church. And as his friend, to, to witness it and to see it, it was devastating. 
His kids grew up in that church. His best friends were in that church. But he and the lead pastor started to see ministry differently, and eventually there was a tension. And when I found out, I gave him a call so we could talk, because I knew how crushed he would be, and I'd actually worked in that church with him before, and I saw how much he loved that community. And so I'm sitting on a front porch, and he's crying, and he's asking me, what do I do? And I had no answer for him. I have no idea how to get somebody through that season of their life. This is something that I'd never experienced before. But the one thing I did tell him is that his family needed to be in church that next Sunday. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy because they just were told you can't come back to the church you worked in for 11 years, so they needed to find a new church for their family. But the one thing I did know is that they needed to be there and they needed to be worshiping together because he needed to show his wife and his kids and his community and his friends that even in the season of my life, even though this is probably the worst season they will ever go through, God still comes first. So how you honor God out of season shows your level of commitment. It's easy to honor God when you get the warm and fuzzies during worship, but how do you honor God when you haven't felt that way in five years? It's easy to honor your boss on the first day of work, but what about when you discover that they're lazy? It's easy to honor your spouse on your wedding day, but what about when you have multiple kids running around and just life is hard? How you honor out of season shows your level of commitment. I want to finish up with this today. When I preach, I try to make it practical because I want you not just to hear something on Sunday, but take something home from Monday. So I have four questions that I want us to wrestle with as a community this week because I believe that Jesus wants us to have life to the fullest, and it starts with recognizing that integration is necessary, and it starts with recognizing that we're just in a season right now. And so, so let's go through these four questions. I would encourage you to write them down. We'll post them on our social media this week so you can wrestle with them throughout the week. Question number one, what can I learn in this season of my life? We need to learn according to seasons. Whatever season you are in is an opportunity to learn. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but God. And so what does this mean? That this is the season you're in. And whatever you're going through is happening so you might not rely on yourself, but on God. And some of you are in an incredibly hard season right now. So the question is, what are you learning about God? What are you learning about hope? You might be in winter right now, but summer is going to come. And God wants you to live out what you're learning now when summer is here. Question number two. What can I enjoy in this season of my life? People often ask me, and they, they'll, they'll we'll have conversations or we'll sit down for coffee, and they'll say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. What is God's will for my life? And that's a great question, something that we should all wrestle with. But First Thessalonians 5 actually says, Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So the question is, what can I enjoy in this season of my life? That is God's will. He wants you to enjoy something in this season, even when it's not a good season. And so there's something. There's something that you can enjoy right now. Is it your health? Maybe it isn't your health, but you have some solid relationships. Maybe your relationships are fractured, but you have a job that you love. Maybe your job's not satisfying, but you can enjoy God's beautiful creation. The reality is we can't choose the season we are in. Sometimes our decisions put us there. More often than not, somebody else's decisions put us there. But you can choose what you say about the season that you're in. I think it comes down to, honestly, hope in Jesus. If Jesus is your number one thing, if Jesus is the hope that you have, 
It doesn't matter what season you're in, you can enjoy it. And so what can you enjoy in this season of your life? Question three, what is most important in this season of my life? So here's a myth we were told as a culture. We are told that we can have it all. We want a growing business and the perfect family. We want the great hobby. We want the ideal church involvement, fulfilling relationships. We want to eat whatever we want, and we don't want our body to reflect that. We want it all. But we know that we can't have it all. That's a lot of the reason why we feel like we're in the place that we're in right now. We can't have it all. And so we have to choose how we move forward. We have to choose what's best use of our time. And we do that by asking ourselves what is important in this season of our life. I've said this before. I love football. I've actually played fantasy football since I was 10 years old. So I've played fantasy football for 21 years. I have a 21-year-old sister. I've played fantasy football just as long as I've had a sister. And so that's always been a part. I do it with my friends. It's a ton of fun. But in this season of my life, as we lead a church and we have a toddler, I didn't set my lineup one time through this season. I'm getting alerts at 1.30 saying my quarterback is like out. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening anymore. And so I realize right now in this season, that's something I have to cut, something I've done for 21 years every single Sunday, something that I love, something I do with my family, something I do with my friends. It's something in my life that I have to cut. And so some of you need to ask yourself the same question. What is most important in this season of my life? I can tell some of you your answer, though. If you're married, your spouse is the most important in this season of your life. Until they pass away, that relationship is the most important thing. What are you doing to build that relationship in this season? If you're a parent, your kids take priority while you're at home. Not over your spouse. But while they're at home, they take priority over everything else. Which means because you're a parent, there'll be seasons when you get worse at your hobby. There'll be seasons when you spend less money on yourself. There'll be seasons when your social life is just okay. And the reason why is because it's a season. And God has called you to care for these young people so that when you release them into the world, they live for Christ because you've poured into them for a couple decades. So what is the most important, or what is most important in this season of your life? Question number four, how can I help others in this season of life? Proverbs 3 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it, sorry, from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. When you understand season, seasons, you actually lose an excuse. Typically, we use the excuse that we're too busy, right? Like, that's our go-to. We're too busy. We don't have enough time. But we know that now, that what we plant will be harvested in the future. And we don't just get a pass because of the season that we're in. And so you don't say, I'll treat my husband with humility when our, when our marriage is better. You can't think, I'm going to be a good employee when my personal life gets better. You don't rationalize that I'll help that person once I get a raise. Somebody who followed Jesus says, how can I help others in this season of my life? Because if you live only for yourself, you'll never be happy. Jesus says if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And God wants us to use the season that we are in to help other people. So another way to phrase this is, what is the thing that will help you grow and will help other people but you keep putting off? What do you need to do today? The key to life and the life that we want and life to the fullest is integration. Balance is a myth. But in order for us to integrate well, we have to recognize that there are seasons. I'm going to finish up by talking to those of you who are in a hard season. It's literally winter outside, but that is also how you feel on the inside. 
It's cold and it's dark. The days are short and you are tired. You're exhausted. You don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I want to remind you of Jesus. Think of Jesus' life. He spent 30 years in obscurity. He spent 40 days wandering in the wilderness alone. He spent one day suffering and dying on a cross. He spent three days dead in a tomb. And I know so many of you can relate. That's where you feel like your life is right now. So I want to remind you, if you feel like you're aimless in obscurity, God is preparing you for another season. If you feel alone, like you are deserted in the wilderness, God is refining you so he can use you for his purpose. If you feel like you're just pouring your life out, God is using that to give life to other people. And if you feel like something in your life is already dead, God can resurrect that, so just hang in there. God is in the resurrection business. That means if it's winter in your life right now, don't give up. Know that it's not going to, to be forever, that it's just a season. And because Jesus died and rose again, and because you have clung to him as your eternal hope, you'll have grace and truth to get you through the season of your life. We're still going to honor God in whatever season we're in, but it's just a season, and he'll get us through it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, um, that there are seasons. We don't always love it. In fact, most of the time when we're in a bad season, we hate it. But God, we realize that you'll get us through it. God, that a lot of times we can't get it through, get, get us through it alone. But God, you put people in our life to help us. Put people in our life to get us through the ups and the downs. We get, put people in our life to help us figure out what do we do right now. So God, thank you that we know that these are just seasons, that it's not our life forever and we're not stuck in this place. That if it's winter now, it'll be summer later. God, thank you for the way that you love us and the way that you pull us through those things. We pray these things in your name. Amen.